Let us turn now back in the scriptures to the portion we read together. The book of Joshua and chapter 24. <clears throat> we'll consider as the Lord enables a statement found in verse 15. Joshua chapter 24, the verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Particularly the words we have in the first half of the verse. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. <clears throat> have you ever thought to yourself, I have heard all of this before. Maybe you've gotten to the stage where you're coming to church and a minister has announced a title or a text and much of what he says is familiar and you think you might be tempted to think why do I need to hear this again surely if I've heard it once it should suffice but this is not of course the case it is good to be reminded of what God has done for us. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians in chapter 15, he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received, and wherein ye stand. Similarly, in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, he says, To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Probably said these things because we as human beings can become complacent in the familiar. It is good for us to be reminded of great gospel truths and exhortations every time we gather for worship and for a gospel service. And why do I start off by saying this? Because the Lord has just reminded all the Israelites through Joshua all of his work. That he did even from the days of Abraham to the present day. Now these individuals were Hebrews. They knew very well the history. They knew what God had done through Abraham, Moses and Aaron and latterly through Joshua. Many of them literally saw the great workings of God, particularly in Jericho and other occasions. Did they need to be reminded of these things? Yes, they did. For the reasons I just said. To be complacent in the familiar is dangerous and he did so because an ultimatum had to be reached a decision 
and their experience had to be made. He had to detail everything God had done to this very moment so that it would lead up to our text this evening. Based on everything he just said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. After he explains what the Lord has done and says, Now therefore, fear the Lord. In verse 14. He was to use their own knowledge to motivate them into a great and important decision. And that is our theme this night. Joshua's ultimatum. Joshua's ultimatum. And we'll do so looking at three points. Firstly, we'll consider one road. Secondly, one date. And thirdly, one master. One road, one date, and one master. So in the first place, one road. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We each must choose a road to go down. We are told, are we not, of a broad road that leads to destruction and a narrow road that leads to life. The fact is, is that those are the two roads. There is no middle road. We might be tempted to think that, that there's the road of indecision. If you're not sure where you want to end up in eternity, you're on this middle road. But this is not the case. Nobody is neutral. There is the broad road and there is the narrow road. And this, dear friends, is the most serious choice mankind ever has to make. For as long as they are in this world, this choice should be presented to them. Will you serve the Lord or continue to serve yourself? There was a scholar called Daniel Webster. Apparently he was a very bright individual during this day. And a curious person went up to him and said, You have incredible thoughts that you have penned down over the years. What is the single greatest thought that has ever entered your mind? And he simply said, My personal accountability to God. This is the most serious choice mankind has to make how will you stand before God on the last day we are already on a road one or the other you are either on the broad road or you are on the narrow road and this gospel goes out to all those here tonight that are on that broad road you are not merely bridging the gap between the two by being in a church service. You're on the same road as all those who are not in church tonight. In a sense, to remain on that broad road is the choice that you must be making. The reality is there's only one reasonable choice. 
There's only one of those choices that actually makes sense. And it comes from the Lord. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Why would you choose an alternative route? Joshua, by speaking the very words of God in the earlier part of this chapter, had given them every reason to choose a life of servitude to God. After all that God had done in their lives, he had earned their service. He had reached all the way back to the days of Abraham, as we already touched on. Brought to their mind all their knowledge and even added to it. And likewise, we can remind our fellow men who are still strangers to grace and to God about the victorious work of Christ delivering his people. This same gospel has been proclaimed from this very pulpit over many, many years. You have heard of Christ dying for sinners. You have heard of the need to come to him in repentance. You have heard these things over many years. But it does good to be reminded once again. They were in a land that the Lord detailed, which they did not labour for. They lived in cities that they did not build. Of the vineyards and olive yards which he planted not, do ye eat. And friends, the kingdom which is to come, we did not build. Christ has gone to repair a place for us. We did not labour to build it. He there has built it for us. The building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the only reasonable choice to make. And you must make this choice. You must make this choice. Wilt thou go with this man was said to that godly lady in Genesis. Life is, of course, full of personal and social choices. We must choose where we will live, perhaps bring up our children, or who we will marry for that fact. There are social things. We must choose who to elect into office. None are as important as this one. But let us, as Matthew Henry said, Resolve upon a life of serious godliness, not merely because we know no other way, but because really, upon search, we find no better. It's only one reasonable choice to make. But even among all these things, as clear as the choice is, as in, will I carry on on the road to a lost eternity? And eternity under the wrath of God, or will I repent and come to Christ to enjoy heaven and glory with him forever? In spite of all these positive thoughts for the cause of Christ, the fact of the matter is that man's mind is incredibly creative when it comes to excuses. 
Maybe you think of some of these. Do we not believe in sovereign election? Is it not the case that a sinner is dead in sin until the Spirit works within them to make them turn to Christ? Awakening their souls to see their need to come to Christ willingly, putting their faith in him. Do we not believe in that? Of course, we do. Ye have not chosen me, the, the Saviour said, but I have chosen you. But the reality is, is that there is nobody in heaven today who sat and waited for Christ to come for them. There was a moment in each of their lives where they came to him and repented and trusted in him for themselves. And likewise, there is sadly a great, great number in hell who sat with their arms folded waiting for God to work in their lives. Yes, we believe in sovereign election, but we believe also in the responsibility of man. We have a duty to come, to make this choice, to choose God, to choose to serve him. Maybe you're thinking, well, it is the right way to go, but it's quite a stumbling block for me. There's a lot of things going on in my life, and it would be a great hindrance to many things I'm seeking to achieve. Joshua, even in this, started this verse in verse 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Joshua knew that they had a past of grumbling. They had a past full of changing their minds and going different ways. He knew this. We have a mind that is greatly used to come up with excuses for not coming to Christ. But they're all futile. Dear friend, make this choice today. Choose you this day whom you will serve. So that was one road. Secondly, one date. One date. Choose you this day whom you will serve. This day. There is only one date on the calendar given to you to come to Christ. Only one. And that day is today. This is a very present offer. It's not a future offer. Blessed be God, it's not a past offer. But it is a present offer. All gospel commands in the scripture are in the present tense. There is no reason for delay. And it's always given with great urgency. Both John the Baptist and Christ himself began by warning the people of the kingdom of heaven that was to come. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. And of course the very nature of the gospel itself, the gospel message itself, makes it an obligation to repent, to repent. Does it not? All that Christ did 
to save his people? Does that not require the most urgent response from mankind? He died for sinners. Sinners who deserved none of it. He showed mercy. Chose a people for himself. Paid the ultimate price. Took the very wrath of God due upon their heads. On his own. Friends, when that is delivered out, it should be a natural thing that this day we would choose to serve the Lord. And because it is a present offer, you should, this night, count it a great, great privilege that God tells you these words again. I'm sure you've read these words many times and have heard these words many times. And the Lord, through the scriptures tonight, takes them to your, hear, your ears once again. Here they are, one and all here. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Come to know the glorious gospel of the blessed God today. Because, friends, the reality is, delaying has consequences. Delaying has many, many consequences. You think of the people of Jericho. Like I said, many of the people here, in earshot of Joshua's words, would remember the time of Jericho. What is true of them people? Every single person in that city, apart from Rahab and those in her house, they could have fled at any time. We are told that the people in Jericho knew very much about the children of Israel. They knew about what, was, what went on on the other side of the Jordan. They knew all these things. They knew there was a conquest taking place. They could have fled the city at any moment. But they stayed right where they are. What is said of them? Joshua 6 verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. So much so that even when the children of Israel had arrived, they encircled the city for six days and they still never fled the city. And how much of that is a picture of the human heart? The human heart perpetually fortifies itself against the gospel. And I say perpetually because it goes on and on. It starts off very much like Zedekiah, as we read in Second Chronicles 36. What does it say about him? That he humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart, from turning unto the Lord. The human heart hardens each time a gospel warning is not heeded. Your heart is harder tonight than it was the last time you heard the gospel preached. And it will be harder if you're spared to see another time 
where the gospel is preached. Hence, make the most of today. Make the most of the fact that these words are in your hear, your hearing, your hearing tonight. Because the reality is that one day, this day, is judgment day. There's not an infinite number of days ahead of us. This day will one day be judgment day. And delaying also only adds to your own personal judgment. If you think of, if you're ever pulled over by the policeman, if you speed off, if you flee, it only adds to your condemnation. It only adds to your charge. It does you no good. Friends, fleeing the gospel adds to your charge. To hear it once again and to go unheeded hardens your heart and adds to your charge. And again we think of many excuses man's heart is able to come up with. The biggest one, arguably, is I still have plenty time. This one is said far too often in our own hearts. I still have plenty of time to choose whom I will serve. James Janway said, He that saith he will be good tomorrow, saith he will be wicked today. A challenging thought that is. But you might think, well, what about the dying thief? There was a thief on the cross beside Christ. What about him? Well, I ask you with love, which one? When people bring that up, they assume the one that repented, but there was another thief. In the exact same situation he was in, who continued to harden his heart, even at the very stroke of death, he wouldn't turn. Hence, do not leave it to that day. You don't know if you'll get the opportunity. It has, of course, been said that regarding the thieves, one was saved, that none may despair, despair, but only one, that none may presume. Don't presume that that thief, just because that thief had a day where he could turn in repentance and time to do it, that you will too. Death can be very, very sudden. Gorham Abbott said, Sincere repentance is never too late, but late repentance is seldom sincere. Choose you this day, this day, whom ye will serve. So thirdly, one master. One master. Choose you this day, whom ye will serve. In order to do this, you must have an undivided heart. You must have your heart set on one. You think of early in the book of Ruth. You have that picture where Naomi is departing. And you have Ruth and Orpah around her. And what is said of them? 
Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Orpah had resolved to carry on as things were, to go back into Moab. But Ruth desired to come with Naomi to make her God her God. But Joshua in this instance knows a decision needs to be made. These people need to resolve to serve the Lord. That's why he gives them every reason to do so. Because he knows that being stuck between two paths does nobody any good. And of course we know that this is impossible. We've already touched this, touched on this. And to say the words of the Saviour in Matthew 6, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Who will you serve this day? Will you serve the mammon of this world? Or will you serve God? Likewise, Elijah, before the people, he asks him the question, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Is that not interesting? He was asking them, how long halt ye between two opinions? How many more Sabbath days are going to come to pass where you sit unrepentant on the fence, undecided on what to do? Do I heed the words of the preacher or do I cancel it and go another way? How long halt ye between two opinions? And it says, the people answered him, not a word. They had no word to say to Elijah. They didn't resolve to follow the Lord or even Baal. Divided heart is very much an unjustified thing. Moses, Moses asked one time, did he not? Who is on the Lord's side? You think of that incident with the golden calf when he said that. The anger that was shown. That they would be so flagrantly disobedient to the Lord's voice. And the Lord's providence in their own lives. Who is on the Lord's side? Thomas Brooks said, Though Christ's coat was once divided, he will never suffer his crown to be divided. He demands and indeed earns your all, your servitude. Reality is, friends, the day may come that the choice to serve him or not will lead to life or death. The question may come before you in your own lifetime. Will you serve God? Will you make a stand for him? By saying yes to that, it might end up in severe persecution. If you haven't anchored yourself upon him, 
Do you have the confidence that you would answer yes to that question? If you haven't put your faith and trust in him before that day. It's quite a difficult thought to think that because for many years, especially in our own Presbyterian circles and in the country we live in, there has been generations, and some of them are still there, where the culture around us and the church have been very much parallel to each other. There was many generations where people were quite upright, well behaved, they worked hard, they went to church. There wasn't this secular and religious divide back then. It seemed to be blended rather nicely. But you know as well as I do that these two paths are parting. The world is becoming colder and harder, less receiving of the things of God. Laws being brought in that will seek to challenge you for even saying a prayer. The culture and the church, the church that stands for Christ, are departing from one another. And this choice to serve him will cost a lot more, we believe, in the days that lie ahead, unless the Lord should work. Joshua in this context as well points out the futile, false gods of their history and the place they lived in. He purposefully points out two kinds of gods. He points out the, the gods their fathers renounced back in the day, Abraham and his kin, renouncing their gods in favour of a mighty one. Their gods could not keep them from turning to Christ. But also they were standing at this time, those around Joshua, on the land of gods that could not save the people that lived there before. The gods of the Ammonites and all the cults round about. They were unable to save them from the conquest of Joshua. Remember a number of years ago, there was a flood in, I believe it was India. And there was a picture that went round the internet of a man who was about thigh deep in water. And he was carrying an idol that he worshipped every day. And I thought, isn't it remarkable that that man had to save his own God? His own God could not save him. And the gods of the people that were... On this land before them could not deliver them. Points this out because they have a threefold choice. The forsaken gods, the forsaking gods, or the unforsaking God, the covenant God of Israel. What other God, dear friend, is able to deliver you? Can you think of one? Who can do for you? What Christ can do for you. Who can take away every single one of your sins? Who can grant you a cloak of righteousness? Who can grant you an unimaginable glory with him for all eternity? No God can deliver like this. Is that not what Nebuchadnezzar said after the incident of the burning fiery furnace? 
threw Daniel's friends in there, the three of them, but he saw a fourth. They came out unaffected by the fire. Even the smell of the fire was not to be found on them. <coughs> and he concludes, Nebuchadnezzar, there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Make him your one master tonight. Because after all, is he not a master worthy of the greatest of servants? John 13, verse 13. Ye call me master and lord, and say ye well, for so I am. A master that keeps his people. He grants them the grace that they will not renounce him that day should come. He keeps his people, kept by the power of God through faith, as Peter says. And he is king over a land that cannot be conquered. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high this night. This master, no ill shall befall that kingdom. No conquest as mighty and formidable as they may be in this world can get to heaven, to his most blessed kingdom. Dear friend, a tried and tested master beckons you to come to him in these words that we have discussed this night. A master that delights in saving people and is a delight to serve with your life. Rutherford said, they lose nothing who gain Christ. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to us this evening. Let us pray. <clears throat> Most gracious and ever blessed Lord, we give thanks once again for the scriptures which we have considered. May the Lord give thanks that the gospel goes out yet still, that there is an open hand willing to receive any who would come in repentance and faith to the cross. And, O oh Lord, we pray that that gospel would indeed go forth with power tonight. O oh, that the scriptures would be what they are, that sharp two-edged sword, and that its labour would not be in vain. For before us then in our parting praise, may Christ have the honour, the praise and the glory. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. 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 We'll sing in conclusion then from Psalm 86. <clears throat> Psalm 86, and we'll sing from verse 8. Three stanzas. Lord, there is none among the gods that may with thee compare, unlike the works which thou hast done, not any work is there. All nations whom thou madest shall come and worship reverently before thy face, and they, O Lord, thy name shall glorify. Because thou art exceeding great, and works by thee are done which are to be admired, and thou art God thyself alone. We'll sing these three stanzas then in conclusion to God's praise. Psalm 86 from verse 8. 
Lord, there is none among the gods that may with thee compare. Lord, there is none among the gods that services next Lord's Day will be at the usual time and I hope God willing to take these services. The funeral service for the late Mr Alistair McIntosh, senior elder in the Doors congregation, will take place on Tuesday 14th of February at the William T. Fraser Funeral Home called Offal Road, Inverness at 12 noon. So Tuesday the 14th at 12 noon. Interment thereafter will be at the Doors Cemetery. The seminary will be meeting for classes during the forthcoming week, and the manse will be occupied by students and lecturers during this time. Uh, the Deacon's Court has agreed to the installation of a defibrillator service within the premises here for the use of the congregation in an emergency. It has been recommended by the charity from whom we have procured the device that a training session in basic CPR take place. There will also be instructions for us all on how to use the defibrillator, which actually speaks its own instructions. Now, when I delivered this in the morning, I made a mistake. Uh, the training evening will actually take place uh, next month, on Monday the 6th of March. So Monday the 6th of March next month at 7pm. And it will last approximately 90 minutes. It is hoped that as many as possible from the congregation, no matter their age, will attend. Uh, a minimum of 12 people is requested by the trainer. So please do add your name to the list on the table outside as you leave. And finally, the February Witness magazines are now on the table in the vestibule, ready for collection. And all these intimations are subject only to the will of the Most High. May the Lord bless us the remainder of this day. <clears throat> 